This is a special call to action to our listeners to financially support this podcast and spread awareness of the Native Plants Dialogue through exclusive Plant Native Nebraska merch at plant-native-nebraska.myspreadshop.com. Wear our designs in your best effort to convert your friends and neighbors, or just simply look cool. Thank you for your continued support in our quest to help Nebraska plant native. Hello, and welcome to the Plant Native Nebraska podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Barlman. If you are new to tuning in, this show is for native plant enthusiasts, aspiring gardeners, suburban homeowners, growers, and thinkers anxious to learn more about growing Native American plants and creating habitat for wildlife. If this sounds like you, you've come to the right place. In today's episode, the DIY Prairie Garden, we go over a short breakdown of what a prairie is, some unique medicinal and edible qualities of native prairie plants, how to site prep, and what plants and grasses to use in your very own meadowscape. Check our show notes for extensive details of today's episode. Enjoy. So today, we're here to talk about prairies and how you can grow a micro version of one in your own yard. If you haven't already, you can go back and listen to episode one, which gives you a primer on what native plants even are, as well as episode two, where we discuss prairies a little bit with Dr. Kay Kodas of Prairie Legacy, Inc. Okay, so first off though, what is a prairie? A prairie is a grand and complex ecosystem. It's comprised of grasses and wildflowers. The word prairie actually originates from Old French and means meadow. So Nebraska and the Great Plains were historically beautiful places filled with grass and wildflowers. By the late 1800s, most of that meadow was converted to farmland due to its nutrient-rich soil. So today, only 1% of that original prairie remains as it's been further carved up for Walmarts and McDonald's and Targets. Nebraska has different regions of prairie systems. So here in Sarpy County, we fall into the eastern section of historically dominated tall grass prairie areas where you'd find taller sod grasses like big blue stem or Indian grass and the climate was slightly wetter. The western part of Nebraska is where short grass prairies are naturally found and they're hotter, drier. They're dominated by shorter bunch grasses that also tend to like it hot and dry, such as little blue stem. And then the middle sections of Nebraska where prairies were predominantly mixed grass, utilizing both elements of short and tall grass prairies. There's also the terms wet prairie, mesic prairie, and dry prairie, depending on if the prairie is located in a lower or higher elevation in the landscape, or whether it's located near a stream, lake, floodplain, or a natural depression. So what a prairie looks like changes. And this holds true if you venture further from Nebraska into where prairie ecosystems extend into Colorado, Minnesota, south towards Texas, or even further east into Indiana. The slight changes in climate, soil composition, and elevation affect the kinds of plants that are able to thrive there. Although you will undoubtedly find plants that have an expansive native range and can thrive in a wide variety of habitats. So today we're focusing on tall grass prairies, 
But if you're listening in from an area of Nebraska that falls into the short or mixed grass historical areas of Nebraska, we will have some links in our show notes for you to research what kinds of plants you incorporate into those spaces. But before we deep dive into specific plants you can use, we can also entertain the whys of planting a naturalistic landscape. So what are some of the obvious reasons for planting a prairie garden? Well, first off, beautiful meadows aren't just for Europe. And since meadows are historically found here, you're not implanting something exotic just for the sake of aesthetics. You're helping to convert spaces back to a better reflection of what they could have been. Secondly, you're providing habitat for insects, birds, and other wildlife, such as groundhogs, chipmunks, salamanders, toads, and many more, in what has basically become a food desert. You're helping to preserve these species for future generations, since habitat loss is the primary driver for extinction. You're also bringing in these creatures for your own enjoyment, and are able, if you wish, to participate in citizen science by submitting sightings and other observations to projects hosted by the Xerxes Society, Pollinator Pathway, Journey North, Budburst, Caterpillars Count, and so many others. Third, you're providing bee forage if you own a beehive. Um, you're ensuring crop pollination if you grow a vegetable garden. Additionally, you're inevitably using little water to maintain the meadow, as opposed to lawn or other landscaping. Um, you're reducing, if not eliminating, mowing, which is great for the environment and also great for your spouse. You will have very little weeding time after your meadow garden reaches its maturity. And lastly, you will encourage the storing of some carbon below ground by using these prairie plants with incredible root systems. So aside from those reasons, what are some unique reasons we could be planting prairie gardens? You can forage your prairie garden for wild edible plants. Bob and I talked a little bit about this in episode three of the podcast. Um, so in this prairie garden, we could have plants such as chokecherry, elderberry, wild strawberry, those all have edible berries. Usually they're used in jams. Uh, wild strawberry can be eaten raw. We have plants with edible flowers, such as violets, elderberry, and yucca. We have plants with other edible fruit aside from berries, so there's the American plum, and both fragrant and smooth sumac. There's plants that make great teas. So we have wild bergamot, lead plant, uh, echinacea, or purple coneflower, as you've likely heard of it. There's hundreds of plants with edible parts native to the Midwest, but always double check if any of the plant parts are poisonous or if the flowers or fruit need to be cooked before it's able to be consumed. Uh, another thing we can talk about is harvesting plant material from your own meadow garden to use for natural dyes. So if you're looking to make natural Easter egg dyes or native meadow tie-dye shirts or natural tablecloths or just cloth material for macrame or random projects that you have um, on your Pinterest, you can use some common plants like Coreopsis, Goldenrod, Indian Blanket, Butterfly Milkweed. Another thing as well is the medicinal qualities of some of these prairie plants. If you're looking for plants to incorporate into your garden with medicinal qualities, you've got elderberry, you've got Carolina geranium, sweetgrass, New England aster, and many others. You can also even grow some of these prairie plants if you're interested in learning how to basket weave using natural materials. 
Um, so sweetgrass again, Virginia creeper, which is a vine that people normally weed out of their gardens, but it's actually a native plant. Sumac, big blue stem, rattlesnake master, dogwood. All this is pretty cool. And it's kind of a bonus reason to plant a prairie garden, along with all the habitat benefits, along with all the environmental benefits. But now we've got to get into how one would even prep a site for a prairie garden. Um, what is site prep? What does that even mean? So when we prepare a site for a prairie planting, we're trying to ensure that there's the least amount of weeds possible. And we can do this in a multitude of ways. One way is we can remove the top growth, um, usually pre-existing sod mechanically with a sod cutter. Or you can even do um, what I do um, when I don't have a lot of time or I don't feel like I have a lot of energy to go out, rent a sod cutter, bring it here, move it around the yard. You can just cut the sod out by horizontally slicing with a drain spade and then planting directly into the ground. So if you were to use the sod cutter, you would do the same thing. You'd remove the sod mechanically with the machine and then you would plant directly into the ground. Some people will use mulch um, just as a starting point to try to suppress weeds so that the prairie plants can grow up. But if you do use mulch to top dress your new prairie plantings, make sure you use shredded mulch and not thick cuts of wood bark. You'll know when you go to browse for mulch that there's definitely different consistencies of it and you want something that's more shredded because the idea is uh, normally people don't want something that will erode very quickly. They want something to last, but we actually, in this case, want something that's not gonna last. It just lasts for a small period of time. And then that way your prairie plants can take over and do their job at providing living ground cover. The next thing you can do if you do not wanna use a sod cutter, if you don't wanna use the route of slicing into the sod with a spade, you can selectively kill turf off with a short-lived herbicide and plant directly in. Um, a lot of the main native pollinator garden installers in the Omaha area will use this method. It's especially helpful for them when they have a very large area to do. So that is an option. If you're uncomfortable about using herbicide, I definitely don't blame you, I am as well. Um, you can also go a different route of smothering or solarizing the area. Um, that can consist of laying down black or clear plastic, can consist of laying down cardboard. You keep the area covered for a five-week period, followed by a week where the area is uncovered. And then you would repeat this for three sets of these six-week periods, beginning in May and ending in September. And then after that, you can, you can plant out that prairie bed that fall. And there's, there's definitely not a set way in doing this. There's, there's different methods people use. There's different amounts of time that people smother and solarize. The main goal is just to get these prairie plants established by trying to eliminate as much as we can of an active seed bank, basically in that top layer of soil. 
Um, when you go the smothering or solarizing route, the best thing to do would be to definitely close mow um, before you smother. So you want to set your lawn mower if you actually still have one to the lowest setting and just literally, I mean, it's going to look like it's scalping the grass and that's the idea. And you just want to take it and close mow as close as you possibly can. And then immediately, if possible that day, put your materials down to smother or solarize. Um, there's also links in our show notes about strategic mowing. Prairies in the past really relied on, on wildfires to rejuvenate them and to prevent things from taking over. So our, you know, our modern method of kind of mimicking that process is just by strategically mowing during certain times of the year. So go ahead and check our show notes after you listen to today's episode, and we'll provide links on what that looks like. So now that we're getting to the nitty gritty, what types of plants should we grow in a tall grass prairie garden? So what I'm laying out is going to be a dry full sun garden. So this isn't a shady spot. Um, this isn't a spot at the bottom of the hill or at the end of a downspout or a garden that's going to be friendly if you live in a, a gated community where people have their sprinklers on three times a day every day and your backyard is actually waterlogged underneath. This is going to be a xeriscape garden. Um, it's going to mimic the natural prairie and the tall grass prairie region of Nebraska. So you're going to want dry soil and you're going to want it full sun. And one thing that usually puts people off about a true prairie style garden is that you're going to want to use 60 to 80% grasses. So this isn't going to be your typical garden that's 60 to 80% flowers. This is going to be 60 to 80% grasses. That being said, a lot of these grasses that I'm recommending are gorgeous and they just are really, really obviously true to what the prairie was. And there, there are some taller grasses in here that really give that feeling of wildness. So I think you're going to be really surprised by how this turns out looking. So the main grasses to use are going to be Indian grass, big blue stem, and switchgrass. And I don't know if you've ever seen big blue stem before. It, it looks quite different from little blue stem. Not only is it taller, but the seed heads at the top are just gorgeous. Um, so definitely if you get a chance um, to come out to the rain garden that's located in the Twin Creek area that we work on near Culver's and Bellevue, come out to the rain garden when we're working on some of our fall dates or late summer dates, and we can point out the big blue stem growing there to you because it is really an awesome, underutilized plant in the landscape because people are scared of how tall it can get. Um, but I think in the right place or the right garden, awesome. So once you use those three main grasses, you can work in some side oats grama, blue grama, purple love grass, Canada wild rye, prairie drop seed, and even some little blue stem. Um, for anyone not already familiar with purple lovegrass, it's amazing. You will fall in love with it, and you will want it everywhere. And it's a shorter grass, so it's, it's good to fill in between areas just as a natural ground cover. 
It's also good on the edges. I like to use it as an edging plant in my other gardens. So definitely one to consider for this garden idea today. Um, there's also sedges. Sedges are slightly different from grasses, um, but the sedges that we're recommending for this tall grass prairie style garden, a sedge called Carex brevior, there's also a sedge called fox sedge, and those are two great full sun loving sedges you can use in this garden. Um, so that being said, we can now get to some wildflowers that I would recommend for this garden. And I'm actually going off um, some lists online that were compiled by the University of Nebraska at Lincoln and even some of their publication, which I will have a link for in the show notes, actually has some of the work by uh, Kay Kodis when she was doing her thesis uh, at university. So again, using some of the some of the knowledge from Dr. Kay Kodis that we interviewed on episode two. There's a wide variety of wildflowers that we can use, and I've compiled a pretty extensive list. So that way you can kind of pick and choose what more appeals to you or what you think better fits the needs of the space. Um, some of these are shorter plants, some of these are taller plants, and some of these fall you know, in between that three and four foot range. So it's kind of uh, at your discretion what plants that you think you would like to use in a prairie garden. Dogsbane, which is commonly confused with milkweed. It looks very, very similar to milkweed when you see the stem coming up and the leaves. Um, but then when it flowers, you can, you can tell pretty well that it doesn't quite look like milkweed. That one is toxic to dogs. So if your dogs are the kind of dogs that are getting into everything and eating everything, probably not the one to plant in your garden. But otherwise, pollinators love it. It's a great, great prairie plant. There's different milkweeds, such as butterfly milkweed, plains milkweed, Sullivan's milkweed. So if you're looking to branch out from trying common milkweed or swamp milkweed, um, the plains and the Sullivan's milkweed are more true to the prairie system. We've got Western Yarrow on the list, Heath Aster, New England Aster. Um, Heath Aster is a shorter aster, but when it has to compete with other plants, it can become a bit taller. New England aster you might have already heard of, beautiful purple flowers. There's also a plant called hairy golden aster. And it's just a very, very gorgeous, profusely blooming plant with yellow flowers. So if you haven't already tried hairy golden aster, or you're really wanting to deep dive into this prairie style garden, that is definitely one to consider. Daisy fleabane. Um, purple cone flower, which you've probably seen everywhere and heard of a million times already, but it's there. And like we talked about before, can be used to make a prairie tea. There's different sunflowers that are native to the prairies. Sunflowers tend to be a bit aggressive. So just know that if you do plant them in your landscape, that you'll have to keep an eye on them and you might need to you know, hop in and intervene if they start taking over too much area and you wanna you know, keep a variety of plants in there and you wanna keep diversity intact. So just know they're gorgeous, they're awesome, um, they can be used for, for edible purposes and other purposes, just know you gotta keep an eye on them. We've got sawtooth sunflower, Jerusalem artichoke, there's even Maximilian sunflower, 
Um, the Maximilian is pretty tall. The Liatris, you've probably heard of before. It's also called Gay Feather. Liatris is actually the Latin name. Thick Spike Liatris um, is commonly found widespread throughout Nebraska. Gray-headed Coneflower, if you haven't tried that one, super cute flower, really awesome. Um, that's a, that's a medium height plant, tends to be about four or five feet tall. Your black-eyed Susan, Rebecca Hersha. There's goldenrods, which if you have not utilized goldenrod yet in a, in a landscape of yours, definitely consider adding it for some nice fall interest. It's just a fantastic flower. And like we talked about, you can use goldenrod and natural dyes. Partridge pea. Partridge pea is an annual. Um, it looks very similar to wild senna. And it's commonly used if, if you go out to, you know, say, if, for instance, if you go to the meadow area in Luritzen Gardens, you will see a ton of partridge pea in bloom. And it's one of those annuals that self-seeds. So don't be put off by something that's classified as an annual. Just know that the way it's going to exist in the landscape is if you let it go to seed and you let it set seed, then you will get new ones next year. Rocky Mountain Bee Plant, awesome plant, really unique flower, looks uh, very similar to the typical traditional garden Cleome um, because they're related, but this one is a native. We've got Prairie Spiderwort, Ohio Spiderwort, um, Bob and I on episode two talked about Tharp Spiderwort, um, really delicate, beautiful purple flowers, very similar to the way a violet looks. And those are found widespread in the prairies in Nebraska. There's a unique flower called round-headed bush clover. There's also white and purple prairie clover. So those have very delicate, wispy foliage. The flowers themselves are super cute, so you won't be disappointed. Wild bergamot. Carolina geranium, um, which we talked about before that has that additional utilitarian use to it. Same with the wild bergamot. You can make tea with it. Um, it attracts bees, hummingbirds, you name it. Pollinators love wild bergamot. Wild petunia, which not a lot of people, uh, it doesn't seem to be the most popular prairie plant um, or the most popular native plant in people's gardens. But what I love about wild petunia is it works its way around things. It actually makes a great ground cover because it pops up in all those little spaces. And the flowers are, are beautiful. They're traditionally beautiful. So that's a great one to use. Purple poppy mallow. If you haven't seen purple poppy mallow, definitely look up pictures of it. It's very, very vibrant, magenta pink color. And it stands out from, you know, 100 feet away. You can see it. So that's definitely a great one to use also for its qualities of being able to take advantage of those little windy open spaces in between plants. There's another plant called Illinois bundleflower, very true to the prairie. Prairie phlox, white prairie sage. White prairie sage is Artemisia ludovickiana, and that is a sacred plant. If you've heard of bundle sage, that's white prairie sage. Another plant I like to use for its free seeding qualities is Verbena stricta. 
Um, if you have a wetter area of your prairie garden, you can use its cousin plant, Verbena hostata. And they look very similar to each other, but the Verbena stricta is going to really like it hot and dry. It's going to get taller. And, uh, and the Verbena hostata is shorter and will tolerate wet soil. There's also different kinds of penstemon you can use. Cobia penstemon, slender penstemon, shell leaf penstemon, and rattlesnake master also a great unique looking perennial plant you can use in that prairie style garden. I also wanted to give some ideas for shrub options, mimicking natural shrubland found on the outskirts of a prairie. And this is great if you have an area where you want to do a garden, but also behind it, you need a privacy screen. Lead plant um, can be used in that garden, can also be used in your actual prairie garden itself. Lead plant, very, very interesting flowers. You have these spires of purple, and then you also have these little hints of orange. It's so, so unique. I've never seen any other flower like it. It's, it's sort of similar to the way butterfly bush flowers look, but not quite. There's also smooth sumac. So you've probably seen, you know, if you're driving down Cornhusker, you're driving in other areas along the interstate in Nebraska, sumac likes to grow in those spaces on the roadsides. Silky dogwood, amorpha fructicosa, which is related to lead plant, um, but it's much taller. The flowers are like a dark wine, burgundy sort of color. Very, very unique statement sort of plant. So that would be a great one to use. Choke cherry, which we talked about having other utilitarian edible uses. There's a native rose, one of a couple native roses called Rosa Arkansana. So that would be a great one to use. Flowers are gorgeous. They get these beautiful hips in the fall. And you can also use coral berry. Coral berry, you may have heard of, you know, modern cultivars of, but actually the straight native is just as beautiful, I think, and makes amazing thickets. So if you, you know, you design a little prairie area and there's, say, like a fence close to or behind it, this would be a really good option to plant alongside a fence. Any of these options of shrubs that we've given. And this isn't an all-encompassing list. There's definitely hundreds of different kinds of plants you can use that are native to the Midwest. Um, but these are ones that really stood out to me and in the literature. Now, when it comes to using seeds, I don't recommend beginners to use seeds because what usually happens is they don't prepare the ground very well and then they cast the seeds and then weeds and what plants germinate from the seeds come up basically at the same time. And it's really hard to tell what's a weed and what's a quote unquote good plant. So my advice is to avoid seeding unless you really fully prepare the site as recommended to prevent weeds and invasives from taking over. As for watering, you really only need to water when you install this garden. Um, so what I usually tell people is get like an oscillating sprinkler to make it really, really easy for yourself and hook that up to your hose. 
turn it on in the morning and water the area you have planted for like 45 minutes or an hour. Do that like every few days, like every two, three days, and then start stretching it out. Okay, well, it's been, it's been a week, so now I'm only going to water it every four days. And then it's been two weeks now since I've planted, so I'm actually go only going to water it, you know, once a week. And then slowly just kind of taper down. And then at, at one point, once your garden bed has been planted and you feel like it's got pretty good establishment after, say, like four or five weeks of, of you know, being on that kind of watering schedule, then just let nature do its thing. And then after that, basically only water during times of pretty extreme drought or where the temperatures really skyrocket up to like, you know, 102, 105. But other than that, I try not to water any of my plantings. Uh, for me, that kind of defeats the purpose. I like thinking of, of it being a natural garden that doesn't need a lot of supplemental water. When you go to plant things, definitely try to not buy huge plants because you're going to pay a lot for them. And a lot of these plants are really fast growing. They are really strong, hardy plants. They're not going to be these little wimpy things just because you get a smaller plant. So I recommend buying, you know, three, three inch, four inch pots where you can source them from. We'll, we'll have links in the show notes if, if you're looking to source these plants where maybe you're lucky and you have a garden friend like me who can just dig some of this stuff up for you or you want to try your hand at growing things from seed indoors in little pots and then you know, bringing it outside once it's hardened off and, and once it's big enough to plant in the ground. That's cool too. But when you go to actually planting these plants, try to space them a foot apart, maybe a foot and a half. I would err on the side of planting things too close than planting them too far apart, especially once a garden is getting established in the first year, the first two years, things are going to take a while to fill in. The more open you leave that area, the easier it's going to be for weeds uh, to set in and start competing with your plants. So at this point, a foot, a foot and a half apart for those perennial plants and those grasses is going to be fine. Um, it's going to help cover that area much more quickly. For, you know, if you, if you do have that side area of shrubs, Definitely plant those a bit further apart than a, a foot and a half. A good cheat you can use is, is you look at the, uh, when you go to buy your, your shrub, say, and it says something like, will grow to be six feet wide. Um, I use that as a cheat by just dividing that number by two. So I divide that number in half. And then I know, okay, well, whatever gets planted next to this, it's got to be three feet away. And that's kind of how I determine how far apart to plant shrubs. Or say, you know, you go to put lead plant in your prairie garden. That would be one where you wouldn't want to plant things too close to it because the lead plant eventually is going to get something like three, four feet wide, uh, five feet wide. So you definitely want to keep in mind the spacing more when it comes to shrubs than when it comes to perennials because most perennials are gonna it's gonna be about the height it's not gonna be about the width that all being said there's many great resources online that we are going to include in our show notes that includes the nebraska statewide arboretum they have a lot of publications about prairie style plantings 
Also, they have really good advice on how to use ground covers, how to space things in your garden, kind of along the lines of what I've been saying. I'm also going to provide some links in the show notes to Heather Holm and her infographics and publications on pollinators, because I think those will be really, really helpful in kind of learning to appreciate the kinds of pollinators you are going to start to see in a prairie style planting. I'm also going to provide some links in the show notes on where you can source these native plants and seed. We've had them on the show here before. You can source plants from the Nebraska Statewide Arboretum. You can source native plants from Prairie Legacy. You can source native plants from Midwest Natives Nursery. And there's a few online suppliers like Prairie Moon Nursery, Prairie Nursery, And I've even talked to people in my plant society group who have ordered seeds from stock seed. So there's different options depending on where you're located and, you know, what, like when you go onto their website, maybe certain places have different plants that interest you more. I do know that, that Kay at Prairie Legacy is pretty strict about what she sells because she is selling local ecotype sourced seed from virgin prairies so she is very very true to sourcing everything from nebraska that's historically been in nebraska and her plants are grown from that seed so if you are kind of leaning more towards purism on the native plant spectrum that's definitely the place to buy from um the next best thing and having a wide variety of plants is definitely going to be Midwest Natives Nursery, very healthy looking plants, a ton of plants to choose from, some of which are not all native to Nebraska, but are native to the Midwest. So if you're looking for a local place where you can select from a wide variety of stuff, definitely the place to go. But also there's giveaways and there's groups like our plant society, Bellevue Native Plant Society, where you can get free plants, you can get free seeds. Nebraska Monarchs has a plant giveaway that you can look out for every year. There's seed shares through City Sprouts, um, through the Bellevue Public Library, and and there's native plant societies in, in Lincoln and other areas of Nebraska. There's a native plant society in Blair now. So this garden aspiration of yours to plant native it doesn't have to be an expensive aspiration there's there's even seed libraries now at a lot of uh book libraries so there's some libraries here in our omaha area where you can go into the library and you ask where their seed library is and you can just you can get free seed from your book library your local book library it doesn't have to be an expensive endeavor it's all about your level of comfort and your level of what you can financially spend on a garden and if if the expense is too high you can definitely do do things like finding those seed libraries um, sourcing plants from friends from people in a local plant society or there's there's even grants you can apply for in some in some cases that that will help you come up with the expenses of planting native also i should note if this topic really interests you I will be giving a live class on July 6th at City Sprouts from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. called the homegrown micro prairie 
So if you're interested in learning a little bit more about what, what we talked about here on the podcast today, I'll be basically giving a slideshow presentation on all of this info and showing pictures and different things related to this topic. So that would be another chance for you to dive a little bit deeper in. Also, if you're curious about learning more about native plants um, and are in the Omaha area and want to be a part of a fun event going on, we are going to have a table at Mulhalls. So from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. on July 22nd, we'll be at Mulhalls for their wild plant party event. And you will be able to see me there. You can ask questions if you have any about installing a prairie garden or just about native plants in general. But that's all I have for today's talk. So I hope this has inspired you to get out and do a little bit of good in your garden. If you haven't already, find a local native plant society if you can in your area of Nebraska. And if you're outside of Nebraska and you happen to be listening in, try to find a native plant society near you as well. And definitely follow along with uh, national places such as the Xerxes Society, you can pick up books by Doug Tallamy at your local library, Heather Holm, great people to learn from, great information to share. Um, but always you can feel free to um, check my Plant Society website for resources. So our website is bellevuenativeplants.org and there's different resources for you to utilize, um, inspiring places to visit if you do live in the Omaha local area and our events for the year if you want to get involved. And if there isn't a native plant society near you, I am encouraging you to start one. It's, it's not as daunting as it seems. You just need to be passionate and you just need to be willing to learn and just share that. Share that journey with other people and you'd be surprised at how many people are passionate and driven to learn the same stuff and to try to be great stewards of the environment. So hopefully all of this information was beneficial to you, and I hope you keep listening. Thank you for tuning in to the Plant Native Nebraska podcast. If you need notes on anything mentioned in today's episode, check our website, plant-native-nebraska.captivate.fm for more info. I want you to know you've made this podcast special just by listening in, but if you found real value in today's talk, you can both financially support future episodes and dive deeper into the topics we share by finding us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash plant native Nebraska. Thanks for listening. I also wanted to add a special call to action for our listeners as we are still in need of volunteers to help renovate the trailhead rain garden in Bellevue. You can visit our plant society's webpage at bellevuenativeplants.org, click on the annual schedule tab and scroll down to find the Trailhead Rain Garden work days. See you there. And as always, thanks for listening.